the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Tuesday, August the 8th, 2023, in the year of our Lord. On August 8, 1974, President Richard Nixon, facing damaging new revelations in the Watergate scandal, he announced he would resign the following day. Today in 1815, Napoleon Bonaparte set sail for the island of St. Helena to spend the remainder of his days in exile. Today in 1942, during World War II, six Nazi saboteurs were captured after landing in the U.S. They were executed in Washington, D.C. Two others who cooperated with authorities were spared. Today in 1945, the Soviet Union declared war against Japan. That was during World War II, as you know. Today in 1963, Britain's Great Train Robbery, they called it. That's what it became known as. In fact, there was a a book, maybe even a movie. I'm not sure, but a book was written about it. That took place as thieves made off with 2.6 million pounds in banknotes. One year ago today, former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate was put under siege, and it was a siege as a small army from the Justice Department investigated the discovery of boxes of records containing classified information that were taken to Mar-a-Lago after Trump's left office or during the time he was leaving office. This event leaves so many questions. What about Biden? Did troops show up? like stormtroopers, like SWAT, and it was at at Trump's home. Have they shown up at all these places where Biden has all these? No, they told him in advance they would be coming by to look over those documents. President Joe Biden, this is not political. President Joe Biden has spent his entire life as a politician. That's all he's ever done. He was a lifeguard. That's his story. He tells it and, and is proud of it. But he spent more than 50 years as a so-called public servant. He has been storing classified documents in boxes just like Trump did, just like Mike Pence did, and others. And nobody's mentioned the name Obama. I can't believe that Obama didn't have some, quote, documents in one of his several mansions that he and his wife now own. But no, the attack was on Trump. It wasn't about classified documents. Joe Biden has been collecting documents since he was a senator, and that's illegal. They don't have that right. He collected more classified documents as a vice president. Neither do they have that right. A president has the right, the access. A vice president, a senator or congressman doesn't. But not a whisper. 
it's only about Trump, which tells us that it's really not about the classified documents. Speaking of Trump, interestingly enough, sadly enough, I guess, a little exchange on Fox was not missed by me. Fox News chief political analyst, Brett Hume, he used to work for ABC way back in the day. Then he hooked up with Fox early on when Fox came on the air, the Fox News Channel, a number of years ago now, of course. Brett Hume has kind of become the, oh, kind of the patriarch of Fox News, I guess, particularly having to do with political news. He's been on there forever. He's kind of retired now. And um, anyway, he was on. He's been on a lot lately. I, I, I think they think he'll bring in more viewers, but he, he won't if he, if he keeps saying this. They've already kind of lost me with, with the exception of a few programs on Fox. But anyway, Brett Hume was on there and he was talking on Monday and he called President Donald Trump, a fa- he called his presidency a failed president yesterday. Hume issued his statement in response to a video from conservative commentator Charlie Kirk. And in full disclosure, I'm a big fan of Charlie Kirk. I've never met him, but I sure like what he's doing. He's got these college kids organized all across America. And Charlie is a deeply committed Christian, and and part of their organization is is Christian-based, and and they're sharing the gospel and reaching kids and so on in outreach on college campuses. And I forget how many he has, but I mean, it's in the tens of thousands of, of kids, organized students, and um, they're doing a great job. They're making an impact. Anyway, he was on there, and he's Charlie Kirk's a big supporter of Trump. He said he sees his warts and, and all of that like we all do, but Charlie Kirk says he, he thinks he did a great job as president because he spoke to the issues that Charlie Kirk is concerned about. Those are the same issues that many of us, including myself are concerned about. So Charlie Kirk was on there on a video, and he was suggesting that the people that opposed, opposed Trump due to his success as, as president. And he said, if Trump has such a failed presidency, why are they doing everything possible they can to prevent a second term of Trump? Well, I don't know. Maybe they don't have a repeat or a, a, of a failed presidency. Just guessing here, said Hume. But only the most strident, never-Trumpers to his presidency see it as failed. Concerning his foreign policy, Supreme Court appointments, which led to the overthrow of Roe v. Wade and pushed abortion back, thankfully, thank God, and all of that. Again, I'm not just trying to you know, pump up Trump. I mean, he's doing pretty well without me. But if you are, really have a Christian worldview, and Brit Hume says he does, he says he reads his Bible every day and so on, and I, I don't, I mean, I'm not questioning that. If he says he does, he probably does. But how does he get to this? I mean, when a guy stands up, not not as an example of purity and and, you know, righteousness, but when a guy stands up and stands as president of the United States for the most important policies and values to a believer— in Jesus Christ, the sanctity of life, the institution of marriage is not between a couple of guys that think they're different or a couple of women who understand each other's feelings and they're going to get married. I mean, that is somebody that stands up for basic 
fundamental biblical beliefs on human sexuality and, and other policies as well. Why would you not like him to be president? But the left is obsessed, the Christian, so-called Christian left, is obsessed with destroying Trump. They're as obsessed as Biden and all of the institutions under him in the United States seem to be. It's it's an interesting time. I've not seen anything quite like this in my time. There was a big move against a, a number of presidents over the years, but never this strong and never about these issues. It's an amazing time in which we live. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16, the Bible says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Of course, that was the idea that some of our founders, the first people that arrived on these shores from Europe, that was their idea of the, of the country that we would build. It would be a city on a hill. It cannot be hid. We have become something much less than a city on a hill. But the Bible says, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Reading this reminds me of Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. You know this verse, I'm sure many of you do. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. The message here is, regardless of the times in which we live and regardless of what is going on at the time that we live, we are called to be salt and light. We are called to shine. Not because we are perfect, not because we are pure or without sin or without fault. Oh, it's quite the opposite. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But we are called upon to shine. Because Christ, if we've accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, Christ dwells within us. And let Christ's presence in our lives shine forth. Not in a superior way to anyone else but in a way that shows Christ and they will see that and they will see that something is different and it will change their life. They will see you as imperfect because you are and so am I. But they will see something different about you if you just simply live your life for Christ. Just stand. Even if you're in mud, knee deep sometimes in our culture today, it's awful. I never thought in my lifetime I would see anything like what's happening in our culture today. But God's going to see us through this. He's called upon us to do all we can do. But after we've done all we can do, we can vote, we can be active, we can do the things that we know need to be done, and we can take stands for the issues that we need to take a stand for. But in the end, We simply stand for Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ that saves people, delivers them from bondage, drug addictions, and whatever. It is the power of God unto salvation. So that's what we're called 
to do, and that's what we try to do on this program every day, live, originating live. And I want to thank you for your support. We need it. We don't talk about it much, and we never will. When the support isn't there, we won't be here. Uh, If you weren't supporting this program, I wouldn't be here today. Thank you for allowing this to happen today and every day. I am deeply grateful, and I thank God for all of you who support the program and the ministry. I thank God every day for you. Thank you. And if you haven't, if you believe in what we're doing and how we're doing it, I'd like to encourage you to pray about it. Maybe the Lord would speak to your heart to be one of those standing with us in this effort, because I certainly can't do it without you. And I believe that God speaks to hearts. He spoke to mine to do this, and I believe that he speaks to hearts to other people to stand with us in doing it. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, 98009. I want to talk to you about a subject today about libraries. There's an interesting story, and I've got to tell it to you. But I saw something I just can't let go in the New York Times this morning. It's a... (laughs) It's a long story, and I am not going to tell the whole story, but I want to touch on a couple of aspects of it. It's about Clarence Thomas. He's a black man who was raised in poor conditions, maybe average at best, but poor by many standards. He's on the Supreme Court. He's Justice Clarence Thomas. He's hated by the left. What they're doing right now is a profile of racism. Is the New York Times racist? I don't know. I don't know their personal feelings. I would guess they are, but I don't know that because they talk about it all the time and and they damn everybody whom they deem to be racist, including our founding fathers. But their actions are certainly racist. This morning they come out with this feature article. Here's the setup. When you first start to read it, Justice Clarence Thomas met the recreational vehicle of his dreams in Phoenix on a November Friday in 1999. (laughs) That's a while ago, but oh no, boy, they're not going to forget. With some time to kill before an event that night, he headed to a dealership just west of the airport. He's in Phoenix to give a speech, okay? 1999. There set a used Prevost La Mirage XL Marathon. That's a high-end Uh, motorhome, many of you know that, eight years old, 40 feet long, with orange flames licking down the sides. In the words of one of his biographers, he kicked the tires and climbed aboard, then quickly negotiated a handshake deal. A few weeks later, Justice Thomas drove his new motor coach off the lot and into his everyman, up-by-the-bootstrap self-mythology. In other words, he's kidding himself. He's not like everybody else. This is racism. This is what it looks like. It's not because he has a motorhome. It's because he's black and he's on the Supreme Court. There he is behind the wheel. During a 2007, the New York Times says, interview was 60 minutes, talking about how the steel-clad converted bus allows him to escape the meanness that you see in Washington. He regularly slips into his speech his love of driving it through American heartland. 
the part we fly over, he says. And in a documentary financed by uh, conservative admirers, Justice Thomas, who was born into poverty in Georgia, waxes rhapsodic about the familiarity of spending time with the regular folks he meets along the way in RV parks and Walmart parking lots. He said, I don't have any problem going to Europe, but I prefer the United States, and I prefer seeing the regular parts of the United States. The New York Times quotes Clarence Thomas as saying, Thomas says, according to the New York Times, there's something normal to me about a motorhome. He said, I come from regular stock, and I prefer being around that. Then they pivot. Then they pivot. And they go in for the kill, figuratively speaking. Don't get excited and sue me. I'm not suggesting they're trying to, quote, kill him. They're just trying to kill what he does and his activities and his beliefs. So then they pivot. I guess let's call it the capture instead of the kill. I, I don't want to spend the day. No. Anyway, they the capture. They pivot to the capture. But... The New York Times says there's an untold, far more complex backstory than Justice Thomas's RV, one that not only undercuts the mythology, the mythology of what? Well, the mythology that he likes common people, that he likes to be among ordinary people because he grew up in poverty in Georgia. But no, they're, they're making something else out of this. It's all a myth. Thomas isn't who he says he is. He's a fraud. And he's black and he needs to be quiet. He, he shouldn't have a big motorhome that's worth, that at the time he bought it was worth $260,000 or something. He shouldn't have that. Oh, you say, well, Gary, it, he, they're upset because he's on the Supreme Court. Why are they not so upset because Joe Biden is in the Oval Office of the presidency of the United States? Don't give me that about... Well, they're concerned about Justice Thomas favoring certain people if they help him financially and so on. Why aren't they why don't they take those concerns to the White House? You and I know they're not concerned about that. They could care less. If they really cared, if they were people of virtue, and I'm talking about the press in general, this is specifically the New York Times. Why aren't they not at least showing up at the White House and saying, you know, guys, we really need to look into this. Biden sure has a lot of homes and a lot of money. And we know what his salary's been for the last 50 years. We can trace that. He's worked for the government and himself. But they don't. And they won't. They're just not going to do it. They then make the make the pivot, they say, but there is an untold, far more complex backstory. What's the backstory? Well, here's what they say. I'm, I'm just skimming over this. His Prevo Marathon cost $267,230, according to title history records, obtained, obtained by the New York Times. And Justice Thomas, who is in the ensuing years, would tell friends how he had scrimped and saved to afford the motor coach. Did he buy it on his own? Here's where it gets really tacky. They have no class. Did he buy it on his own? I know some people who could write a check and buy a probably a million-dollar motorhome. But most people finance things. 
Did he buy it on his own? Is the New York Times operating on their own? I'll bet they have loans from people and banks and stuff for their operating costs. I mean, they've been losing money for a long time, I'm sure. I don't know. Maybe they don't have any credit. And Justice Thomas, who in his, his ensuing years would tell friends how he scrimped and saved to afford the motor coach, did not buy it on his own, though. They say, in fact, the purchase was underwritten, at least in part, by Anthony Welters, a close friend who made his fortune in healthcare industry. He provided Justice Thomas with financing that experts said a bank would likely have not extended, not only because Justice Thomas was already carrying a lot of debt, but because the Marathon's brand, high level of customization, makes it used motor coaches difficult to value. Welter wrote to the Times. He said, here's what I can share with you. This Mr. Welter, he's rich and he is a friend of, of, um, of Clarence Thomas. He said, here's what I can share. 25 years ago, I loaned a friend money, as I have other friends and family. We've all been on one side or the other of that equation. He used to buy a recreational vehicle, which is a passion of his. He said, roughly nine years later, the loan was satisfied. He paid it back. The New York Times is trying to make something out of this because they're trying to get rid of Clarence Thomas. And they are relentless. It is almost demonic in the sense of the way these people go after Clarence Thomas. It is the profile of racism. And they would say, oh, no, we just want purity and the, we want justice. And we want to know that the Supreme Court isn't tainted and that Clarence Thomas is not going to rule in favor of Welter under some case somewhere sometime, maybe. That is the kind of nonsense that we're living through day after day after day in this nation. A nation that we have declared to be under God. And they're trying to destroy Thomas because he will vote for the Constitution on every case that comes before the Supreme Court. He is a gentleman, a scholar, and an ordinary person who hasn't forgotten his roots. And they don't like that because he's not marching lockstep with the rest of these people. And he won't. And they know it. That's the problem. He borrowed money from a rich friend who loaned him money so he could have a motorhome and he paid him back in over nine years. And that's a feature story. In the New York Times, that's how pathetically sick these people are. Speaking of sick, <laughs> no, I, I don't have a cold. I'm good. Educating the library. Last week we learned an Alabama public library is violating the constitutional rights of, you guessed it, Kurt Cameron and his brave books. Man, he, he's written these kids' books. I've talked about it on this program several times. It's an ongoing story out there. This is not the first time this has happened. As I said, we've talked about it on this program, but here we go again. This time we're in Alabama, but this one has a little bit different ending to the story, and that's why I wanted to leave it with you today. Kirk Cameron's publisher, Brave Books, is sponsoring these See You at the Library events at libraries all across the U.S., and most of the libraries they contact to have an event, the libraries, first of all, decline. They say, oh, no, no, separation of church and state because there's some religious content in his books, but they're phenomenal 
for Christian families and conservative families. They have conservative values. They have some patriotism in them about the U.S., and it has some biblical principles in it. It's not a Sunday school book, but, I mean, it's, it's great. And they're selling by their truckload. He's doing well. And uh, people want these kinds of books for their kids, and they want these kinds of meetings at public libraries that we all pay for. So they were uh, this past Saturday they were scheduled to have an event at Huntsville Madison County Library in in uh, Kentucky. So they the meetings are Alabama, and the meetings included a time of praying, singing, and reading books. They do the same thing every time everywhere they go. They have huge crowds, but. But the three days before the event, the library canceled it. This was last week, citing concerns about security and capacity. But that's not the last page of the story. The so-called public libraries nationwide are receiving formal education on freedom and liberty and the Constitution. Jeremy Dyes, a senior counsel at First Liberty, sent a letter to the library on Thursday urging the library to reverse its decision, and he told them why. He said the library canceled the event upon learning that Cameron and Gaines would be attending in person. He said, we write to inform you that should you persist in the cancellation of this event, you will have engaged in unlawful and unconstitutional religious viewpoint and content discrimination and violation of the Alabama Constitution, the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. A lawsuit is possible if the library does not reverse its decision. The, the lawyer wrote, says, your actions unconstitutionally censor our client's speech through the, your unbridled unilateral decision-making. The gathering of citizens to hear authors read, uh, read books at libraries is hardly a novel invention. Citing mysterious, undefined concerns about security is further misplaced when Mr. Cameron and Brave Books made it clear they intend to provide personal private security for the duration of the event. While no private person should be compelled to provide for the security, they have done so. He goes on. Well, after they got this letter, they immediately they immediately said, well, you know, maybe we should have this event. We, we think it'd be good for the public. So they went ahead and reversed themselves. They went the other way. This is happening when we take a stand. And, and I mean, it, it, not in meanness, not in anger, but Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, people who have a conservative biblical worldview are citizens too. And we have a right to use the library. They don't have a right to stop us because they don't own the libraries. The way it's structured, the public does. Because we pay for it. Marco Rubio, along with uh, Senator Mike Braun of Indiana and, and Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, have also now sent a letter. And they are saying, we're going to investigate American Library Association's misuse of taxpayer dollars to silence brave books. God bless them. <laughs> Thank you, guys. They're doing what we elected them to do. I was reminded of something that Ronald Reagan said in January 5th, 1967, in his inaugural address. Freedom is a fragile thing. It's never more than one generation away from extinction. It is not ours by the way of inheritance. It must be fought for, defended constantly by each generation, for it comes only once to a people. Very, very true. 
That's why we need to be informed. We need to be discerning. We need to be vigilant. We need to be engaged. And we need to be prayerful. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.